There we go. Welcome to the Tuesday Night Bible Study. We're here to study the book of Matthew, and this is lesson number one, starting a new book. So a couple of little um, sort of rules, if you will, or just ex explanation. Uh, my name is Joe. Uh, this is our 33rd year of this Tuesday Night Bible Study, although we did it a couple of years, many years before that in, in the Santa Cruz area. Anyway, um, we, what we do here is expositional Bible study. For those of you that are here for the first time, it's a fancy word, and all it means is we take a book of the Bible and go one verse at a time, one chapter at a time. We don't skip anything, and um, we try to go deep. Um, I'm reading from the NIV, but there are several good translations represented in this room. Um, there's a separate email list for those that want the notes after the study is over and the a link to watch the video and or audio recordings. If you're not on that list that gets an email after the Bible study, let me know and we can add you to that. Okay, so we're going to start Matthew. This is um, obviously one of the four Gospels. I'm going to give you a kind of a an introduction, if you will, to the book that's a little longer than usual, but it's important. There's a reason that Matthew is the first book in the New Testament. It's not because it's the first gospel written. That was most scholars think the gospel of Mark. Mark, Matthew, and Luke are called the synoptic gospels, meaning that they tell the same story in somewhat of the same order. They, they can be harmonized. John writes his gospel much later, and it is not synoptic. It's very different. He basically fills in what he remembers that they didn't mention to a great extent. Um, let's see. So Matthew, uh, we'll talk more about him in a minute, but his other name is Levi. He was a tax collector. Basically, he worked for the IRS. And it's much different than the IRS. I mean, many of you probably don't like the IRS, right? And who likes an audit kind of thing? Well, if you multiply that times about 100,000, you'll have an idea of how much the Jews hated tax collectors. Here's why. Rome had taken over Israel, and Rome collected taxes, but they used wealthy Jews to collect taxes from the other Jews. So it would be like if China, God forbid, took over the United States, and they hired me, China did, to collect their taxes from all of you, you would all probably not like me very much. Tax collectors um, were crooked. If they collected a certain amount of tax, they didn't give it all to Rome. They kept a bunch of it. So they were fellow Jews who were considered traitors or turncoats for collecting taxes for the invading Roman uh, Empire. So they were all, the tax collectors, rich. They would all have a territory. Usually it was bought for them by their parents or by, by them uh, themselves. The fact that Jesus chooses this guy, this hated occupation, is an act of sheer grace. Pretty amazing. It shows that God can change just about anybody. Matthew leaves everything behind, Matthew, uh, Luke 5 says. A lucrative business. He just closes up shop. Somebody else is going to take it over, I guess, or, and he just wants to follow Jesus Christ. When you read that account, what you have to remember is it is not the first time. 
When you read the account, it says Jesus walks by the tax booth and says, Matthew, follow me. And he does. So it sounds from that like, wow, he never knew anything about Jesus. He probably had heard Jesus speak more than once, maybe seen miracles. But clearly God, the Holy Spirit, had been tugging on Matthew's heart. And Matthew got to the point where he left everything behind and uh, followed Jesus Christ. Matthew was a tax collector, so he was really good at keeping records. The Gospel of Matthew contains more uh, speech speeches from Christ than any of the other Gospels. It's thought that Matthew left everything behind except his pen and paper and was constantly making notes as Jesus was teaching and doing things and interacting with people. His gospel, although it goes along with Mark and Luke somewhat, contains a lot of material that's not in any of the other gospels as a result. Just a really good record keeper. But he doesn't just leave everything and that's it, I'm no longer a tax collector. Tax collectors were hated, so they kind of hung out together. Matthew comes to Jesus as his Lord, and in a very gutsy move, the first thing he does is he throws a huge party at his house to honor Jesus and introduce his tax collector buddies to his new reason for living, which had been money, tax collecting, wealth, all that, leaves it all behind. So uh, you can read about that in Matthew 9 and also Luke 5. This is a book that, remember, Jesus dies on the cross. Scholars disagree about exactly when, 30 A.D., 32 A.D., if you say 33 A.D. This gospel is written between 50 and 60 A.D. There's a lot of reason to believe it's as early as 50, which would be within 20 years of when Jesus passed away, one of the earliest gospels, but not the earliest. Mark was earlier. Um, Each of the gospels tells the story, a gospel is the story of Jesus's life on the earth, what he said, what he did, who he was. So the overarching theme we're going to keep talking about is who is this Jesus? Matthew in chapter one wastes no time. It might look boring if you start looking at Matthew one, but don't worry. Matthew wants to tell you that Jesus Christ is the Messiah, He's fully human, and he's also fully God. You'll see that in chapter 1, because in chapter 1, there's two genealogies in a sense. Um, Let's see. Matthew's gospel is written specifically to the Jews. Doesn't mean we can't benefit from it, obviously. He's an eyewitness. John's gospel, also an eyewitness. Mark's gospel, Mark is not an eyewitness. Mark writes the gospel that many believe is really the gospel of Peter, dictated by Peter, written by Mark. Luke is not an eyewitness. He's Paul's doctor and traveling companion. But Luke is a very intelligent guy who does unbelievable research and interviews Mary and others and compiles his gospel. It's a blessing that we have four different accounts of the life of Christ. Matthew, being a Jew, wants the Jews to know, his readers, that Jesus is the awaited Messiah. 
He uses kingdoms. The other gospels talk about the kingdom of God, right? You've read that? Never mentioned in the gospel of Matthew. Why is that? The Jews considered, many did, the name of God so holy that they wouldn't even say the word, not even say the word God, G-O-D. There's Jewish websites you can go to that are Christian that it'll say G space D instead of the name of God. So Matthew calls it the kingdom of heaven. Is this the same thing? Yes. But for his Jewish audience, he calls it the kingdom of heaven. Matthew quotes the Old Testament. The Jewish scriptures are the Old Testament, Genesis to Malachi, more than any other gospel, 62 times. Matthew uses a phrase that appears again and again. He wants the Jews to know Jesus did this, and this fulfilled this, which is in the Old Testament. You see it again and again and again. He proves in spades to the Jews, this is the Messiah. You don't need to look anywhere else. No one else could have been the Messiah except Jesus Christ. Okay, um, I'm going to skip all that, but he wants you to know that he's the son of David and a son of Abraham. We'll talk about that in chapter one. Son of David, messianic uh, or Messiah prediction that a descendant of David would be a king in Israel. You say, well, big deal. He was a king, so his son Solomon was a king. Listen, the prediction is in, uh, I believe it's 1 Samuel, that his this son of David would be a king of Israel, listen, forever. Something supernatural going on. Nobody's a king forever. Kings are born, they live, they die. So it in, implies some sort of supernatural thing going on. Um, Matthew's got five distinct speeches of Jesus the Sermon on the Mount, the commissioning of the apostles, the a bunch of parables all together, the relationships in the kingdom. We'll talk about that when we get there. And then the Olivet Discourse, the end times, Matthew 24 kind of thing. Each one ends with this phrase. When Jesus had finished saying these things, <clears throat> something else happens. So it's easily dividable kind of thing. Uh, we talked about that. Matthew is a tax collector. He was rich. He refers to money more than any other gospel. The tradition about Matthew is, <clears throat> excuse me, by the way, after the resurrection, Matthew is never mentioned again in the, in the book of Acts or anywhere in the Bible. Tradition has it that he ministered there in Palestine, in Israel, for several years and made missionary journeys to the Jews who lived away in Persia, Ethiopia, Syria, and Greece. Persia is modern-day Iran, by the way. Um, you'll see a lot of miracles in this Bible, uh, in this uh, Bible book, I should say. Okay, so I want you to turn first, not to Matthew 1, but to Matthew 9. You say, well, that doesn't make a lot of sense. I know, but stay with me on this. Matthew chapter 9. What I forgot to do is to ask the important question. If you're awake, say, Amen. Amen. Okay, good. And those of you on Zoom, if you're awake, oh, I see an amen sign. Beautiful. All right. Say, oh, two amen signs. Beautiful. Okay. Turn to Matthew 9. I'm on the wrong page. And pick it up in verse 9. As Jesus went out from there, went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him. And Matthew got up and followed him. Like I said, this wasn't the first time they met. 
God had been clearly pulling, tugging at Matthew's heart. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees, this is another thing you see in this book especially, is the antagonism between the religious leaders, Pharisees and Sadducees, and Jesus. They resent him, they're jealous of him, they don't like him. When the, verse 11, the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? You notice they don't come to Jesus, they come to his disciples. But on hearing this, Jesus knows everything, he overhears it. He says, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Okay, one other thing we need to cover. Go back to the beginning of Matthew, if you will. So the themes we've already kind of talked about. Um, the first thing is in this book, the king revealed. That's chapter one and for a few chapters after that. But then a lot of the gospel of Matthew is this this um, underarching, overarching title, the king, listen, rejected. There's nothing but rejection you see for Jesus in this gospel until the very end when he's the king triumphant, rises from the dead and acts like a king. He says, all authority has been given to me on heaven and, and uh, in heaven and on earth and what have you. Um, but the rejection is a big thing. His mother's in danger of being rejected by Joseph. Babies are being, uh, in, they're in danger because Herod's going to kill all the babies. Mother's weeping in anguish. He grows up for 30 years in a really no-name, nothing town called Nazareth. In the Gospel of John, one of the disciples says, Nazareth? Can anything good come from Nazareth? So, uh, I don't want to pick any town to compare it to because then I'm going to offend somebody, right? Um, then his forerunner, John the Baptist, ends up getting arrested, put in a dungeon, and eventually beheaded. He's eventually crucified and dies for the sins of the world. There's a big emphasis on the second coming as well in this book. Um, okay, one other place I want you to go in Matthew, and that's Matthew 22. And then I promise we'll dive in. Matthew chapter 22, you say, boy, you're skipping almost to the end. I am, but there's a good reason. That was fast. We went through 21 chapters. Okay, Matthew 22, this is, listen, folks, if you remember nothing else, remember this. This is the question. I don't mean just for the book of Matthew. I mean, I don't mean just for Christians. I mean for the whole world. This is the question. Matthew chapter 22, verse 41. While the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asks them, notice who asks, Christ himself. What do you think about the Christ? Whose son is he? That's the question. What are you going to do with Christ? Later on, he's going to ask his disciples, and they're going to, he's going to say, who do men say that I am? Do you remember? And they say, well, some think you're John the Baptist, come back to life. Some think you're Elijah or Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And then he says, in Greek, it reads like this. But what about you? You. Who do you say that I am? The you is really emphatic. That's the key thing. What are you going to do with Jesus? I think he was a great teacher, a holy dude. Not going to cut it. 
Peter answers in that passage, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Do you remember? Okay, let's continue here. What do you think about the Christ? In other words, the Messiah. Remember, Messiah is the Jewish promised deliverer, the anointed one who would save his people, Israel. So he says, what do you think about the Christ? He's act, asking the Jewish leaders, the Messiah, whose son is he? Notice their answer, the son of David, they replied. They're right. That's the prediction that it will be a descendant of David somewhere down the line that will be the Messiah. Okay. In chapter one, he's going to prove in spades, Jesus is a descendant from David on both sides. I'll explain that in a second. But then he says, verse 43, how is it then that David, speaking by the Spirit, calls him Lord? And now he's going to quote from the Old Testament. For he says, verse 44, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand or in, until I put your enemies under your feet. If David calls him Lord, verse 45, how can he be his son? In Israel, there's a natural descending order in terms of a father is greater than a son, and then his, his son is not as great as the, the one that was his father. David calls him his son. It is a descendant, but he also calls him Lord. Meaning what? That the Messiah has to be, listen, fully a man to be able to die for the sins of the world. But he has to be sinless. So therefore, he has to be God as well. Not 50% human, 50% God, 100% human, 100% God. He came from heaven, 100% God, and took on an additional nature, humanity. That's the important question, Matthew 22. Do you remember the Christmas hymn, Hark the Herald Angels Sing? Let's sing one chorus of it. Ready? What's the matter? You don't know the words? Just kidding. Listen, one verse reads, I want you to listen carefully. You've sung it, but you probably haven't thought about the words. One verse carefully, the writer of this hymn wants you to know Jesus is fully God. He's fully man. Watch. Christ by highest heaven adored, Christ the everlasting Lord, late in time behold him come, offspring of the virgin's womb. Veiled in flesh the Godhead see, hail the incarnate deity. Pleased as men with men to dwell, Jesus our Emmanuel. Hark the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn king. Fully God, fully man. You may have heard this religious term floating around, the incarnation. Carne is, it happens to be the word that means flesh or meat in Spanish. It also means that in Latin. Spanish is a Latin language. Incarnation means the doctrine of the incarnation. Listen, it's an essential. It means that God, second person of the Trinity, the Son of God, came into human flesh. Fully God, fully man. Incarnation. It is an essential doctrine. If he's not fully God and fully man, he can't redeem anybody. All right. I promised verse 1. We're going to do it. Are you still awake? Say amen. amen. All right. On Zoom, everybody's asleep. Okay, perfect. Just kidding. Verse 1. Now, when you look at verses 1 through 16, your eyes are going to start to roll back in your head. It's a million names. Do you see them? Most of which I can't pronounce. 
There's going to be a test on these. No, I'm just kidding. Okay, let's dive in. Matthew starts off this way. A record of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, a son of Abraham. That's the first two he wants you to know about. And then he's going to start with Abraham and come forward. Abraham's the father of the Jewish race. Before Abraham, there were no Jews. Abraham was a Gentile who God said, I'm choosing you. Your descendants will multiply greatly. They will bless the world. And one of your descendants will be the Messiah that saves the world. Okay. So um, the first two words are Biblos Genseos, which is a record of the Genesis or the origin or the genie ology, if you will. Um, so Jews were really, really big on genealogies. Some of you may have done the stuff online where you can look back in five generations, 12 generations. Jews kept really serious, accurate records of genealogies going back millennia, long periods of time, you know, hundreds of years and more. They believed that the, the Messiah would be a son of David, a descendant of David, and he has to be a Jewish male of Abraham. That's how he starts. Notice the words Jesus Christ. That's Yeshua in Hebrew. Jesus is the Greek version of that, basically English version. That's his name. Christ is the title Messiah. Same word. Mashiach in Hebrew, Christos in Greek. He wants you to know he's a son of David and a son of Abraham, Jewish male and a son of David. Now, here we go. What follows is a lot of was the father of. Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers. That's verse two. Um, so Abraham, you have the father of the Jewish race. Um, Abraham and David, by the way, were both uh recipients of covenants from god we mentioned those earlier um yeah we already talked about that one thing you need to know by the end of this genealogy he's going to say there was 41 generations here and uh, i'm sorry 14 here 14 here and 14 here 14 times 3 42 generations this is not an exhaustive genealogy what do you mean by that? Very common for them to keep genealogical records, but to leave out generations where nobody was really very well known or did anything of any great repute. So sometimes when it says was the father of, it could mean four generations down, the next guy comes. It's not exhaustive, not every single name. It wouldn't be nearly enough names, it would be more. This was very commonly done. Do you have in your family, and don't name names or raise your hand. That one kind of weird relative, you know, the, uh, the weird uncle, the weird cousin, don't be pointing to other people in the room. Jesus's genealogy is really odd. Jesus has all kinds of weird relatives. You say, well, that shouldn't be if he's the son of God. No, I think it's beautiful because it shows that he's as human and humble as we are. He's one of us. As we get into this, there's some surprising names here. Now, Abraham, that's not surprising. The father of faith. Galatians talks about the fact that 
Jews, all Jews are descended from Abraham. Okay? But Galatians and Romans says, both say that all believers, you and I, are sons of, and daughters of Abraham by faith. Because Abraham's big thing was in Genesis, remember when we studied Genesis many years ago, Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Translation, faith. He had faith. God said it, and he went, seems a little hard to believe, but okay. You're going to have a child in your very, very old age when your wife's never been able to have children. Really? Okay. He believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Um, let's see. So we already talked about that. Abraham is the father of Isaac. This is all from Genesis. You can read about Isaac uh, in the earlier chapters of Genesis. Isaac is a picture of or a type of Christ. He is the son. The father has a son, and the father is going to offer his son. Do you remember uh, Genesis 22? I could spend a month on that one chapter, and I won't, but um, he's in a sense resurrected because he's going to be killed, and yet God provides the sacrifice. Do you remember? Okay, so that's Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac was the father of Jacob. Jacob's the father of the 12 tribes of Israel. Uh, Jacob is our first weird choice. Uh, Jacob, his name means trickster or con man. Jacob was not a person of character. He's a liar. He's a trickster and a con man. Here he is in the genealogy of the Messiah. Pretty amazing. But God changes him and changes his name to, do you remember, Israel. Um, so he has 12 sons, but only one son, Judah, uh, has the blessing of being the one through whom the Messiah will come. Judah means praise. The Messiah came through the tribe of Judah. Was Jesus of the tribe of Judah? Yes, there it is. Keep in mind, if your eyes are already rolling back in your head and you're already bored out of your mind, may I say, this is way better than if the gospel started this way. Once upon a time, that's what fairy tales start with. This is real. This is history, verifiable history. Skip Heisig is a pastor in New Mexico. He tells the story of a guy that came into his office one day and said, I'm nice to meet you. Your name is Skip? Yes. I'm Jesus Christ. And Skip said, really? What tribe are you from? And he said, I don't know what you're talking about. And um, for obvious reasons, it wasn't Jesus Christ, right? The second coming is not that kind of second coming. In any case, um, he comes through the tribe of Judah. Judah, the father of Perez and Zerah. Okay, now we've got twins, Perez and Zerah. More weird relatives. Remember your weird uncle or weird relative? Or maybe you're the weird relative. I didn't even think of that. In my family, I am, so it's all good. Perez and Zerah, Judah, the son of Jacob, begot 
Perez and Zerah through incest with his daughter-in-law. Are you listening? You say, say that again? Um, Tamar was the daughter-in-law. Um, Jewish tradition also traced the royal line through Perez. Um, the beauty of this is, again, God can use anybody. He's got to represent all of humanity, and he does. Uh, let's see, we already talked about that. Back to the text. Uh, Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. Okay. Very unusual. Why? Tamar is a woman. So what? In Jewish genealogies, they almost never, ever mention the women. It's the men. This guy was the father of this guy. What about the women? Eh, second-class citizens. Not so much to God, but in the Jewish culture, and especially in Roman culture, even more so, women were chattel. They were possessions. Here's the first, uh, a woman. By the way, there's Tamar, Rahab, Ruth, and uh, the wife of Uriah, which is Bathsheba. Four women in his genealogy, indicating what? Women are going to be greatly elevated in Christianity. The first witnesses to the resurrection, Peter, no. James, no. John, no. Women, right? Pretty amazing. Uh, they showed great faith as well. Only John is at the cross with a bunch of the women who believed. So uh, God can use anybody. Okay. All those four women were stained with sin one way or another. God used them. Tamar sold herself as a prostitute to her father-in-law Judah to have the kids Perez and Zerah. Okay. I'm, I'm reading on. Uh, hmm, Perez, the father of Hezron, Hezron, the father of Ram. Some of you have heard of the Los Angeles Rams. That has nothing to do with this. Okay, just seeing if you're awake. Ram, the father of Aminadab. Aminadab, the father of Nashon. This is verse four. We're not going to discuss every one of these names, and most of you are thrilled with that news. Nashon, the father of Salmon. That's Salmon, not Salmon the fish. Just wanted you to know. Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Okay, Rahab was a Gentile. What's she doing in here? It's an indication that this is the Messiah, not just for the Jews, for the whole world, but for all kinds of people, even sinners. Wait, are you saying this is prostitute number two? Yes. Rahab was a Gentile prostitute who took extraordinary measures to save the Jewish spies who came to her in the Old Testament, Joshua chapter 2, chapter 6, and what have you. Um, okay. Boaz, if you ever read the book of Ruth, you know about Boaz. Um, let's see, Rahab. Okay, Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. There's Ruth. Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of, and he uses the king word there, King David. Wants to show the Jews he is through that royal line. This is, by the way, Jesus's genealogy, and it might surprise you to learn, through Joseph. You say, wait, it's not really his biological father. That's correct. 
but it is his legal father in a Jewish sense. Matthew is giving it, giving the genealogy through Joseph. There's another genealogy we're going to look at in the book of Luke. And if you compare the two, you say, wow, these are really different. Something's wrong here. That's the genealogy of Mary, his mother. On both sides, if you will, the legal side and the biological side, he's a descendant of Abraham and of David. Matthew and Luke both want you to know that. Okay, where were we? Jesse, the father of King David. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been, he can't bring himself to say Bathsheba, so he says Uriah's wife. It's Bathsheba. Wait, are you saying this was an adulterous relationship that resulted in murder, and this is the son? And Yes, I am. If you read about Solomon, he's no angel either, right? Gets into idolatry and all kinds of dumb stuff with way too many wives. One is plenty. Amen, men? Okay, just seeing if you agree. Um, David, the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. Remember, David sees Bathsheba, Bathsheba bathing on the roof, lusts for her, invites her up. They, he gets her pregnant. He has her husband killed at the front lines. Remember all that? Wait, you're saying David wasn't a saint either? No. But God used David mightily anyway. That's good news for people like you and me that are less than perfect. Amen? All right. Um, okay, so we're still reading. Uh, David, the father of Solomon. Yes, Uriah's wife. Solomon, the father of Rehoboam. Rehoboam, the father of Abijah. Abijah, the father of Asa. Asa, the father of Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat, the father of Jehoram. Jehoram, the father of Uzziah. By the way, if you are pregnant and you're thinking about what name for your child... <laughs> Uzziah, I think, would be good, nice. Uzziah, the father of Jotham. Jotham, the father of Ahaz. Ahaz, the father of Hezekiah. Hezekiah, the father of Manasseh. Manasseh, the father of Ammon. Ammon, the father of Josiah. Josiah, the father of Jeconiah and his brothers at the time of the exile to Babylon. So that's one set, verse 12. Um, let's see. After the exile to Babylon... Where, by the way, it appeared the whole Jewish race could disappear. They've lost their land. They're off in Babylon as slaves. God totally in control, making sure the genealogical record goes exactly the way it is supposed to. It may have looked chaotic to them or to you today when you read the newspaper. God's totally in control. After the exile to Babylon, verse 12, Jeconiah was the father of Shealtiel. Shealtiel, the father of Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel, Zerubbabel, the father of Abayud, Abayud, the father of Eliakim, Eliakim, the father of Azor, Azor, the father of Zadok, Zadok, the father of Akim, Akim, the father of Eliud, Eliud, the father of Eleazar, Eleazar, the father of Mathan, Mathan, the father of Jacob, and Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who is called Messiah, Christ. Whew. Glad to be through those names, may I just say. Um, the point is, this is through Joseph. I want you to notice how many times when Joseph is mentioned, they are so careful, all the gospel writers, to never call him Jesus' father. 
ever. Unbelievers do. The the writers of the Gospels never do because he's his legal father, but genetically, biologically, Joseph has nothing to do with Jesus's genealogy. Okay. Um, do we want to do that now? Yeah, we probably might as well. So that is for the Jews, the legal um, ancestry. That's the genealogy of Joseph, his legal father but not physical descent. Um, we already talked about that. There are people, Chuck Missler's one, there's other scholars that believe this. Um, I lean that way, but I won't sell it too hard. And that is this. Jesus Christ is born into the world, born of a virgin named Mary, right? We're going to talk about her. We're going to take a detour to the Gospel of Luke in a second. Um, Joseph is the legal father, but as I said, there's no biological connection to Jesus. Jesus is born, we're going to see, listen, totally sinless. You say, well, all babies are really innocent and beautiful and not biblically. No, they're not. There's such a thing in the Bible called original sin. Ever since Adam and Eve, when a man and a woman have a child, guess what? They're born with a sin nature. Not true for Jesus. What's your point, Joe? Just this. Missler and others believe, and they might be right, that it's possible, sorry guys, that the sin passes to the child through the father. Because it all starts with Adam. Eve, uh, uh, not Eve, Mary is a woman. She's a human. I'm going to show you she's not sinless like the Catholics teach. She calls Jesus her savior. You don't need a savior when you're sinless. What's your point? My point is that Mary is a sinner and needs a savior, and yet she has the child, and there's no sin brought through to the child because God himself is the father. I won't sell it too hard, but it's an interesting way to look at it in any case. Um, almost time for our break, but not quite. Um, okay, verse 17. Thus there were 14 generations in all from Abraham to David, 14 from David to the exile in Babylon, 14 from the exile to the birth of the Christ. 14 times 3, 42. The Jews love sevens, seven days in a week, all kinds of sevens, right? So 14 is two sevens, it's six sevens, basically, or three fourteens. You say, so what? The Jews were fond of putting things in smaller packages to make them easier. Listen, believe it or not, to memorize. A lot of people would memorize their whole genealogy. Very important. So, um, let's see. Do we go now? No, let's not go there yet. Um, let's start with verse 18. This is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. Now you're going to read this and say, boy, there's a lot of things missing here. Matthew tells what he wants to tell. Luke inter clearly interviews Mary and has way more information about the angel visiting Mary and that discussion, Mary's Magnificat, Magnificat, which is her praise and song to God, um, her visit to her 
cousin Elizabeth, remember all that, who's the mother of John the Baptist? Matthew has none of that. This is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married, betrothed to Joseph. But before they came together or had sexual relations or were married, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. That's it. One verse for what Luke takes a chapter and a half to talk about. Um, let's take our two-minute break, and when we come back, we're going to look at Luke chapter 1 to fill in a lot of the blanks. Uh, those of you that are here in person, make sure you, there's brownies back there, by the way, but make sure you say hello to someone you don't know. Very important. I'll be right back. Two-minute break. Don't go away. Welcome back to the Tuesday night Bible study. Find your seats back there and finish your brownies. We don't know this for sure, but girls in that era were married as early as 12 or 13 years old. Not uncommon. 14, 15, maybe. So Mary was a young girl, a virgin. Old Testament talks about Isaiah. Behold, the virgins shall conceive and shall bear a son. Remember all that? Emmanuel, God with us. It's a prediction, a prophecy about the birth of Christ. Um, there are scholars that debate the word there. It just means a young maiden, but it's the word Alma, and it means everywhere in the Old Testament, virgin. No getting around it. It's a virgin. Uh, the only time in human history we've had a virgin birth. Mary is a young, hardworking girl. She is unbelievably righteous. It says so, but you can really tell a lot about her by we're about to go to Luke to see her reaction to God sending an angel saying, um, by the way, you're going to be pregnant and it's not with your fiance. Pretty amazing um, obedience. Um, do I want to go there? No, not yet. Um, Mary's from Nazareth. So is Joseph. Most scholars think, again, you can't prove it, but that Joseph was a lot older than Mary. Nowadays, if a 30-year-old marries a 14-year-old, you're going, whoa, that is creepy. In that era, not creepy at all. Most marriages were prearranged by the parents when the kids were babies or very young, didn't even know each other. You're going to marry Harold, honey. I'm what? Kind of thing, right? It's unheard of in our culture that the parents would dictate, you're marrying him or you're marrying her kind of thing. Very, very common in that uh, culture. There were two parts of the Hebrew marriage, the Kiddushin and the Chuppah. Hope I'm saying that right. Um, the Kiddushin is the betrothal. The parents get together, the kids are of age now, um, and the parents have decided, your daughter's going to marry our son, let's put a contract together. It's signed. It's a solemn thing. And usually you wait a whole year, the, the, the couple does, and they're not dating, really. They have to keep a physical distance, like COVID. Remember that? Six feet, and they didn't have to wear masks yet. But anyway, during that time, it was the betrothal time. It's like being engaged, except if one of them commits adultery, breaks the trust, 
then there has to be, it's not just, well, the wedding's off. There has to be a whole divorce proceeding. And there were two ways Matthew could go here. I'm sorry, Joseph could go here. Legally, Deuteronomy says during that period of, let me say it right, the kiddushin, the betrothal, the engagement, if one commits adultery, then that person is exposed to everybody publicly. There's a trial and found guilty. She is ready for it, stoned to death. By this time in Israel, things have become way more lax with the law, and they hardly ever do that. And they hardly ever did anyway, to tell you the truth. The other option is to put her away quietly with a quiet divorce with just her family, my family. Let's keep this under wraps. I don't want to ruin her reputation. However, if that happened, she's a single lady and she's starting to show and the neighbors are going, hey, uh, what's going on with Mary? Right? It's a bad situation. But before we do all that, go to Luke chapter one with me. So from Matthew, two books to the right, skip over Mark. Luke chapter one. Luke is the only Gentile that writes two books of the New Testament. He's not a Jew. He's a Gentile. He writes Acts and he writes the book of Luke. Um, picking up in verse 26. We might be here a while. I just want to warn you. Luke 1, 26. In the sixth month, God sent the angel Gabriel. None of this is in Matthew to Nazareth. Notice it's Gabriel. There's only two angels that are named in the whole Bible. Gabriel and Michael. He sends a heavy hitter, one of the archangels, to Nazareth, to a town in Galilee, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. That's Miriam is the root from which that word comes. The angel went to her and said, greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary Verse 29 is freaked out. Okay, I'm going to translate for you. Mary was greatly troubled. Are you kidding? An angel saying that? Greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel, verse 30, said to her, don't be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will be with child and will give birth to a son. And you are to give him the name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. By the way, Jesus, Yeshua, means God is salvation, or God saves. Um, You will be with child, again, let me skip down. Verse 32, he will be great. He will be called the Son of the Most High. That's like Son of God. Do you see that? The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. Ah, here's the king, a descendant of David that will rule forever. How can you rule forever if you're a human being? Only if you're, you live eternally, if you're God. And he will reign over the house of Jacob for two terms. Term limit, no. What does it say? Forever. His kingdom will never end. Mary, very practical, basically says, huh? How can this be, Mary asked the angel, since I'm a virgin? The angel answered, Okay, your assignment as I'm reading 35 and following is find the Trinity. Watch. The angel said, the Holy Spirit, third person of the Trinity, will come upon you. The power of the Most High, 
first person, God the Father, will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born to you will be called the Son of God, second person, did you see it? Of the Trinity. Even Elizabeth, verse 36, your relative is going to have a child in her old age. She's going to give birth to John the Baptist. And she who was said to be barren is in her sixth month. Therefore, you figured it out, right? John the Baptist and Jesus are second cousins or something related. They're not brothers or anything, but they're related. Elizabeth's much older than Mary. She's already in her sixth month. So therefore, what do you know? John the Baptist is six months older than Jesus. Uh, I love verse 37. Don't you love that? Bumper sticker, put it on your wall. For nothing is impossible with God. Love it. Mary says, verse 38, wait a minute, I have some objections, some questions, some doubts, some, I got to get some more information. Does she? I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May it be to me as you have said. Totally on board. This is a righteous girl. She's already probably thinking through the, wait, I am a virgin. What are people going to think? right? What are people going to think if I stop drinking and using drugs with my buddies and become a Christian? What are they going to think? Who cares? That's what Mary says. God said it. I believe it. At that time, Mary got ready. What did she do right away? I got to see Elizabeth and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. I love this. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Did you catch that? You mean the fetus? No. I mean the baby in her womb. Scott Peterson killed his wife, Lacey Peterson, who was pregnant. Do you remember in Modesto? Interesting, in a pro-abortion state like California, do you know what that was? A double homicide. Why is that? Okay, sorry, Joe. Move on. Okay, sorry. So Elizabeth has the baby. She's six months old. Ladies, you know, you can start to feel things moving as it gets along. The baby leaps in her womb when she hears the mother of her Lord speaking. Now, verse 42. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, blessed are you among women. She's talking to Mary. And blessed is the fruit of your womb. Blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? Elizabeth has been given some information we're not reading about here. The angel told her more than we read, right? A mother of my Lord, she knows What's going on? This is good. You know why? Because Mary's very confused. She did that journey over there thinking, did I really hear that angel? And this is confirmation for her. Amen. As soon, verse 44, as soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed what the Lord has said to her will be accomplished. Mary's song, the Magnificat is what it's called. And Mary said, my soul glorifies the Lord. What faith. She doesn't ask any questions, doesn't have any doubts, 
My soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my what? Savior. Meaning what? Not sinless. We'll get to the Catholicism stuff in a second. They believe Mary was sinless, born immaculately. They believe she ascended into heaven. She's the co-redeemer or co-redemptrix with Christ. Way off base. Um, let's see. My Savior, verse, uh, my, my spirit, verse 47, rejoices in God, my Savior. For he has been, verse 48, mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed or blessed. And they do, don't they? Catholics certainly do. They pray to Mary. There's no prayers to Mary in the Bible. Don't pray to Mary. Are there prayers to the God the Father? Yes. To the Holy Spirit? Yes. To Jesus? Yes. To Mary? No. Don't pray to Mary. Okay. You already know this, right? Um, 4, verse 48, he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. Okay, we already read that. Verse 49, for the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. She's just praising God. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He's performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones. He has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent away the rich empty or empty-handed. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, even as he said, to our fathers. Mary stayed with Elizabeth for about three months, then returned home. Now I'll go back to Matthew. I'm trying to fill in the gaps that Matthew doesn't give you. You already knew everything I read to you there, but go back to Matthew. Um, but you can see, can't you? Mary's character is exemplary. She's a holy lady. She's obedient to God, doesn't question God, surely doesn't understand, but submits to God's word. Be it according to me, uh, be it unto me according to thy word. Beautiful. Um, let's see, I'm skipping down. Miriam or Mary means bitter. Isn't that interesting? Read the, not now, but when you go home, read the accounts of the, of the crucifixion. John's there. Mary, the mother of Jesus, is there. And there's two other, at least, Marys. Mary Magdalene, Mary, the wife of Clopas. Mary, Mary, Mary. Bitter, bitter, bitter. There's such bitterness watching the Savior of the world die uh, for the sins of the world. Okay, back to Matthew. Are you still awake? Say amen. amen. Okay, good. Zoom, you doing good, you people? Beautiful. Okay, verse 18. Pledged to be married to Joseph, Mary was. Before they came together, she's found to be with child through the Holy Spirit, confirming what Luke just said. Because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man and did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to put her away, some translations have, it's the same word for divorce elsewhere, to divorce her quietly, to honor her, but the no way can I marry this lady. She clearly had sex with somebody else, but I still love her. I'm going to put her away quietly. He does a very kind, merciful thing here, doesn't he? Um, 
Okay. But I want you to notice that it sounds like Joseph's got his mind made up, but he really doesn't. Look at the next verse. But after he had considered this, I picture him tossing and turning in bed, just like, I don't know. Eventually, he finally falls asleep, and an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, there it is again, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, Yeshua, because he will save his people from their sins. There it is. That's Jesus's main mission. What is it again? Save his people from their sins. He does not do that with the miracles, with the healings, with the walking on the water and the calming of the storm. Those are all proofs of his deity and proofs of his love for people he can't resist. He sees somebody that's sick. I got to touch and heal this woman. Excuse me just a minute, right? But the main reason he comes isn't even to teach. It's to die on that cross. That's the whole goal of his life. He knows it all along. And so does God who planned it. Um, Okay. He will save his people. In other words, if you read that with the Hebrew word there, you are to give him the name Yeshua. God saves or God is salvation because he will save his people from their sins. It makes sense that he would have that name. By the way, the name Jesus or Yeshua was a very common name at that time. Uh, Okay, here... Here's the first one. Remember, I told you you were going to see this over and over in Matthew. Look at verse 22 of chapter 1. All this took place to fulfill. Matthew's got his mind partly on what he's writing, partly in the Old Testament. To fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. Verse 23, he's going to quote Isaiah. The virgin will conceive or be with child and will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means... God with us. The Jews are still waiting for this to happen. Most of them missed it. Wasn't what they had in mind. There's two sets of scriptures in the Old Testament about the Messiah. The one they always read, the ones they always read, are the ones that talk about this Messiah being a king who will rule Israel forever, who will destroy Israel's enemies and punish evil and reward righteousness and will sit on the throne of his father, David. They look at Jesus and go, well, the miracles, impressive, Uh, controlling of nature, quieting storms, but getting crucified, all bloody and swollen and beaten up. And this, this can't be the guy now. But he was because Isaiah 53, Psalm 22, is part of the other set are part of the other set of scriptures in the Old Testament that talk about a suffering servant. He has to come first as the suffering servant. The second coming, he comes as the king who reigns. Therefore, the one Messiah, first coming, second coming, fulfills both sets of scriptures. But the suffering servant is first. Virgin birth. If you know anything about biology, it's not possible. 
in science. But God is the creator of science, so it's no sweat for him to make that happen, correct? Um, keep your finger where we are, but go to Genesis 3. We've done this before, but I want to do it again with you very quickly. Well, not that quickly, but quickly. Genesis chapter 3. You say, boy, you're going way back. I am. Genesis 3 is the fall of Adam and Eve. God told them, you don't have 10 commandments. You don't have five. You don't have three. I just got one commandment for you. Don't eat of that one tree, the knowledge of good and evil. The day you eat of it, you'll surely die. Remember, what do they do? They do it. Since then, everybody's been able to die and have sin and get sick. And there's been trouble on planet Earth. Jesus comes to reverse that curse. When God um, sees them sin, he comes and speaks to Adam and to Eve and to the serpent. And there's punishment for each one of them. Ladies, for Eve, one of the things is greatly increase pain in childbirth. Can I get an amen, ladies? Whew. For men, it's sweat of your brow, weeds, thorns, and thistles. And for both, it's you're now exed, you're kicked out of the Garden of Eden. But in verse 15, he's talking to the serpent, which is the devil. And he says, this, by the way, is this verse 15 is called the Proto-Evangel. Proto, first, prototype, first one. Proto-Evangel, the first place in the Bible where there's a hint about the Messiah. Watch. Verse 15. I will put enmity, anger, strife, eneminess, if you will, between you, Satan, and the woman. Does he mean Eve? Yes, but he means this future woman. He means the virgin Mary. I'll show you why. I'll put in between, between you and the women, between your, I'm going to read it the way it is in Hebrew, between your, NIV has offspring and hers. You know how it reads? Your seed and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. You say, wait, Satan's seed? Yes. Okay, seed without getting too biological for you, is the word for sperm, okay? You know about biology enough to know that the man has the sperm, the seed. The woman has the egg, right? You need both to make a baby, unless there's a virgin birth and God provides the seed. But in this case, we find out something really weird between your seed and hers. Hers, who hers? Mary. Mary's a woman, yes. She's got the egg, yes, and the seed. Only time it ever happened. Her seed, that's virgin birth right there. And then he says, he will crush your head and you will strike his heel. Satan strikes Jesus' heel on the cross. He crushes Satan's head on the cross. The end of Satan's domain over the whole earth. From then on, people can get saved and be out of the slavery of Satan. Okay, that's all of Genesis 15. Now go back to Matthew with me, if you will. Um, the second part of the Jewish wedding, there's the engagement period, Kiddushin, about a year, by the way. And then there's the wedding. You ready for this? Fathers of the bride, seven 
days of feasting. You heard me right. A seven-day party. You're providing the wine. Remember Cana, chapter 2 of John? We've run out of wine. No wonder. What day was it? How much wine do we need? And food. Seven days. I'd be saying to my daughter, you sure you want to marry this guy? Seven days. Right? Okay. <clears throat> Going back to Matthew. And I'm reading notes here. Okay, we already did that. So back to Matthew chapter uh, 1. So an angel appears to him and says, don't be afraid to take Mary. It's the Holy Spirit. Now, we don't know whether Mary had told him it's the Holy Spirit or not. It sort of sounds like he's hearing this for the first time, but maybe not. Maybe she told him and he went, yeah, right, right? Like any man would. The angel's going, no, it's true. Um, very unusual. You're, you're going to have a son. You're going to name him Jesus. He will save his people from their sins. All fulfilling the virgin giving birth, and they'll call him Emmanuel, God with us. God in the form of a man, the incarnation. Beautiful. Joseph, when he wakes up, is also obedient. Look at verse 24. When he woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded and took Mary home as his wife. They had the wedding probably as quickly as they could so that she's not showing too much, right? You have to, the wedding dress has to be kind of altered a little, right? No, not necessarily. Um, okay. Uh, the virgin will be with child and we'll, I'm back in verse 23, and will give birth to a son. They'll call him Emmanuel means God with us. Christians have been calling Jesus God with us ever since. When Jesus appears after his resurrection, Thomas is absent, you remember? And then he shows up and they go, we saw him. Dude, it's him. He rose from the dead. Thomas says, unless I see it, put my fingers in the holes and the hands and the feet and my hand in his side, I'm not going to believe. Then a week later on Sunday, again, Jesus shows up, Thomas sees him and Jesus says, hey, knock yourself out, go ahead. And Matthew says, do you remember, I'm sorry. And Thomas says, my Lord and my God, calling him God, God with us. Um, again and again, while he's on the earth and ever since he rose from the dead, people have called him God with us. It took God dying on the cross to pay for the sins of the world. Why is that? Old Testament, sacrifice for sins, bring a lamb. Okay, honey, get that one lamb that's all scabby and gross. No, no, the perfect lamb, no blemish, a picture of a sinless lamb sacrificing himself for the sins of the world. John the Baptist, behold the lamb of God. Jesus has to be sinless but he also has to be a man. The only way this can be is if there's no sin from birth and he's sinless throughout his life, Jesus even says, which of you convicts me of sin to the Pharisees? And they can't think of anything. But he's also got to be a man to be able to bleed and die. God with us. Beautiful. Um, 
So Joseph wakes up and obeys, just like Mary. By the way, Joseph, um, the word for carpenter can also be translated mason. So he may have been both, somebody that built houses, fireplaces, stoves out of masonry, and a carpenter, who knows? Um, But he taught Jesus that trade uh, as well. Verse 25, but he had no union with her until she gave birth to a son. And guess what? They didn't name him Harold or Bill or John or Sue. They named him Jesus, right? We better obey here. Uh, It's interesting that the Catholics believe in the perpetual virginity of the Virgin Mary. Never, ever had sexual relations ever her whole life. Problem is, he's got brothers and sisters who are, the brothers are named in the Bible. Um, So the Catholics, um, yeah, they have all kinds of misconceptions and they focus way too much on Mary. Is she blessed among women? Absolutely. I can't wait to meet her. What a holy, faithful person. When God says, this is what I want you to do, she says, aye, aye, Captain, right? Not yes, but what about just obeys? The object lesson for you and me is try to be like Mary, even if you're a man. Read the Bible. What does it say to do? I'm going to do it. What does it say not to do? I'm not going to do that because God says it. Unbelievable faith. Catholics believe um, that Mary was assumed into heaven. The Assumption of Mary, Feast of the Assumption, the Catholics. You mean Jesus was assumed? No, no, Mary. Supposedly, after Jesus' death, somewhere between 10 and 15 years, 3 and 15 years after his death, she died surrounded by the apostles. By the way, you read the New Testament from the book of Acts on, Mary is almost not mentioned at all. Most of the books don't even mention her. Supposedly, she dies with the apostles around her. They put her in a grave. Then, for some reason, they open the grave and the body's gone, and she assumed, was assumed into heaven. Did that happen? No, that's all just Catholic legend. Uh, or if you want to use the Greek word, baloney is the word. Um, the first half of the, how many know the Hail Mary prayer? If you're ex-Catholics like me, Hail Mary, full of grace, The Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Guess what? That's all scriptural right out of Luke. We read it. So far, so good. Except don't be praying anything to Mary. You can say that, but not to Mary. The Bible forbids, this is going to sound weird, contacting the dead. Guess what? Mary is dead. Well, Jesus is, no, Jesus is alive. The Holy Spirit's alive. God the Father's alive. You can't pray to Peter or to St. Jude or to St. Anthony if you lose your keys. Pray to God. Some of you are Catholics. I know why you're laughing, right? We had a St. Christopher on the front of our car that kept us safe through thousands of miles in that Chevy. Okay, just wanted to let you know that. The second half of the prayer is, Holy Mary, stop. She's not holy. She needs a savior. She's not perfect. She's not sinless. Holy Mary, mother of God. Wrong. 
She's the mother of Jesus, the man. God cannot have a mother. Only in the incarnation is that possible. She's not the mother of God. Holy Mary, mother of God, pray for us sinners. You can't ask her. She can't hear you. Why do you ask Mary to pray for us when you could just go to the source? Talk to God. That's what prayer is. Talk to Jesus. Pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. That's the Hail Mary. Don't do it. In Catholicism, when you go to confession, you confess your sins to a priest, and on the basis of how bad the sins are, you get penance, which is prayer, listen, as punishment. Example, bless me, Father, for I have sinned. I lied twice, and I said two bad words. The priest says, oh, come on, is that it? No. <laughs> anyway, the priest says, um, for your penance, say uh, two Hail Marys and three Our Fathers. So you go to the altar or you go back to your seat and you do that. It's so stupid. Our Father, right now in hell, I could do the whole, Our Father, I could do it in about four seconds. Hail Mary, three seconds. Hail Mary, for the grace of the Lord. Our Father, right now, as if God's in heaven going, okay, that's two, three. You think that, is that prayer? Okay. Um, so yeah, the queen of heaven, the all holy, these are all Catholic documents that say all this stuff. Are there Catholics who are truly saved? I believe there are, they are, who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. <clears throat> My parents were Catholic. By the end of their lives, they were not praying to Mary anymore. I showed them there's one mediator between God and man, the man, Christ Jesus. Um, Mary had a great honor chosen uh, to bear the Savior of the world. Um, okay. So, by the way, an angel, see verse 24? just want to clear up a few things and then we'll move on. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him. Okay. In the Old Testament, notice how the wording is so careful. He did what the angel of the Lord, it's really literally an angel of the Lord. A lot of people think it's Gabriel as well who talked to Mary. Can't prove it. Why are you bringing this up? Because in the Old Testament, there's a character called the angel of the Lord. And it's almost always, probably always, Christ before the manger, pre-incarnate, before he was in human flesh. Uh, okay. Um, and he had no union with her until she gave birth to a son. Um, that's the doctrine of perpetual virginity, which is not true until she gave birth to the son. And they give him the name Jesus, let me just read the rest of my notes here. I think we're ready to move on. We already talked about that. Uh, the biggest problem on planet Earth is not global warming, racism, murder, stealing, wars, rape, child abuse. Are, are these things bad? Absolutely. But except for global warming, which I just threw in to be dumb, all those things I mentioned, the fact that you have to lock the doors of your car because someone might steal it or stuff in it, the fact that women shouldn't really walk alone downtown anywhere after dark, right, ladies? It's because of one problem, sin, S-I-N. Jesus comes to solve that problem. The only way to do it 
is to die in the place of sinners. Every sin ever committed on planet Earth will be punished one of two ways. Either you don't believe in Jesus, I'm on my own, I'm not that bad of a person, then you will pay for your sins forever, separated from God in hell, outer darkness, where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth, all those terms for hell. Or every sin will be dealt with that way, the person pays, or Christ paid for my sins on the cross. What sounds better to you? By faith, we believe that. We make him our, listen, savior. He saved me by dying on the cross. Great. But is he your Lord? Well, what do you mean? Lord means boss, master. When he says A, you don't say B, you say, okay, A. He was Mary's Lord, even before he was born, because God said A, and Mary went, okay. I just want to give the quick version of the gospel. Um, by the way, we said there are four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. That's true. When we call gospel a written biography of Jesus. But remember, there's only one gospel. Man is sinful. I just gave it to you. Jesus died on the cross for our sins. By faith, we receive him as our Lord and Savior. We receive eternal life and a new nature and become alive spiritually. And we have, present tense, eternal life. Beautiful. An offer you can't refuse, to quote the Godfather. Okay, verse, <laughs> verse 1 of chapter 2. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, we'll just introduce this subject and we'll cover it more next week. Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who's been born King of the Jews? We saw a star in the east and have come to worship him. Okay, let's introduce these guys. These are astronomers. They are not Jews, they are Gentiles. Um, they've come a long way. It's thought from the east, maybe Persia, which is Iran, maybe the east way over there, which is China, you know, somewhere way over there, Tibet, who knows? They've traveled a long way. When we read the rest of this story next week, I will show you that um, a couple things. Number one, they bring three gifts. So you always hear there were three magi, three wise men, if you will. There's no way we know. <clears throat> Could have been two, and they brought three gifts. Could have been 40 magi who brought gold, frankincense, myrrh. We'll talk about those gifts next week as well. But these guys are Gentiles, and there's a star. It can't be any kind of phenomena that we know about in the heavens, in space. How do you know that? Because the star we're going to learn leads them and then stops. And it almost sounds like it points right there. That's the house. Because otherwise, there might be 30 houses, 100 houses, 1,000 houses, and it's overhead. We have to go... Hi, is there a baby, a king born anywhere in the neighborhood? They know it's that house. Mistake number two, at Christmas, what do we always have? The baby in the manger, the cattle and all that. That's all great. And, and Joseph and Mary are there. And here come the wise men, the magi. Wrong. The baby 
is a toddler here. They're not in the stall anymore. The manger, the you know, there's no room in the inn, remember all that? Matthew leaves all that out. Luke covers that. This is, they've, they've been living for a little while. Baby is one or two or three years old in Bethlehem. They're about to go to Egypt for a while to get away from persecution and come back. And when they do, they're going to live in Nazareth. Got the picture? So this is not right when Jesus is born. It's a little while afterwards. We're late on time. Let's pray and we'll get out of here. Thank you, Father, for this beautiful story. Our world seems chaotic on a global scale, and in my own life sometimes it seems chaotic, and yet you are totally in control, God. Just the way you were with all those generations, just the way you used very average or below average, maybe, people like me to do your will in that genealogy. We see tremendous grace that there's women, that there are tremendous weird sinners, and yet you can change and use anyone for your glory. Thank you that you sent your son Jesus and that he was willing to go. Mary was willing. Joseph was willing. And that we have salvation in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, we rejoice. We know that your word is true and we ought to obey it. We want him to be Lord of our lives in a greater way and help us to rejoice with the angels, with the shepherds, that the Christ has indeed come to the earth and salvation is available to all who believe it and embrace it by faith. Thank you for these truths, God. May they change the way we see our world and the way we live our lives, Father. We love you and we can't wait to see you, but in the meantime, use us for your glory. We pray all these things in the mighty name of the Lord Jesus Christ with thanksgiving. Amen. See you next week. Don't forget to say hello to someone in this room that you don't know. Very important. Those of you on Zoom, thanks for being here. We'll see you next time. God bless.